again, I think as you think about all the challenges and the politics, the social setting in the, in the United States and the world, it's what's needed. Can we create space where we could actually just see each other and talk to each other and be okay if we're not, we can have different opinions because that's what diversity is. People have different opinions. Welcome to an outstanding and fun season four of the Hardwood Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, and I think you're going to enjoy this season and the episodes that we have forthcoming. Thank you. Greetings, everyone. Welcome, welcome to another fun, I guarantee exciting, and uh, jam-packed episode of the Hardwood Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, and we got our brother in the background, Tebow, always keeping everything smooth. But today, we're talking to two friends of Hardwood, to two friends of the kind of work that we do. And in particular, these individuals care about the fact that I go by Rashadis or the Hip Hop Forester. They care about the other parts of me because they have multiple parts of them. And so I'm thankful that they uh, agreed to come on. It, it wasn't hard to twist the arm, but it was, it was tough to get on the schedule because these individuals are doing a lot. And I'm talking about none other than someone from our, uh, okay, we, I'm going to say a Hartwood alumnus. You all have heard him before. He's been with us before, and this is our friend Marcelo Bonta. I'm so happy to have you back, brother. Thank you. Uh, How's it been going with you since we last spoke? Oh, my gosh. It's been, I mean, I do Jedi Justice, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion Consulting. We talked right before summer 2020, and I've been just crazy busy. I've had to say no more than I've said yes. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I've only done, I'm a blogger. I've only done one blog over the past like two years because that's how busy I've been. Well, I want to thank you for being here, man. And, you know, you've definitely been, you know, like a mentor at times and definitely a friend always. Mm-hmm. And now we want to welcome someone new to us, but not new to Marcelo in particular. Um, and this individual has already shown himself to be a DEI scholar, but also a scholar in the arts in other ways. And maybe we'll see how that unfolds here today. We want to welcome our new friend, David Lamfrom. What's going on, brother? Welcome to the podcast. Firstly, grateful, grateful to just grateful to be in community and be able to have these conversations and be able to just share what I've seen, learned, learn from y'all, put that out in the world, right? And make sure that like people have things to connect to. Right, so that everybody's experience is not, everybody's not having like an isolating experience in this world. But the other thing I want to do is paint a picture for folks who are listening, which is, so I want to talk about Marcelo, like Marcelo's hair is looking right. Just know that first off. Also know he's wearing a real Chris Chris shirt. He had me press that for him before the episode (laughs) with, with the starch and the lines and all that, like, you know, sent it back twice. And I'm like, come on, man, we got to get on this pet. And he's like, but I need those lines to be right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, man, you drive a hard bargain. But, you know, I do have this spray starch here, so I'll handle that for you. You know how that is, David. <laughs> you know how that is. <laughs> I respect that because I grew up having to do that. So I'm, I'm all about that. You know, you do look snazzy, you know, and, and I'm glad to, you know, and I'm glad. And thank you for even bringing, bringing the levity to this because I think that, you know, when talking about justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, I think for some it can get heavy. And I think for those who do the work, who engage in it, who are leaders in it, you know, who are even purveyors and creators of it now, you know, I think that uh, we often find a way to make it light. We find a way for it to not to be depleting, not necessarily always easy. Oh, let, let me put it like this. If you've done this for longer than five years, you definitely need to find a way because it can, it, can, it, it can be challenging. But 
everyone that's here to listen to you too. So I want to ask you a question and then let's sit back and then we'll listen. First, you know, could you please tell us either what brought you into engaging in diversity, equity, and inclusion work, or or maybe it's, it may it may not be as deep, you know, for some just, how did you get interested in it? So, you know, either one of those questions, if, if they, you know, like whichever one applies to you. Vonta, you want to go first? I mean, you're looking so sharp, man. <laughs> well, you know, you know, thanks, thanks, Dave, for, for pressing my shirt twice. I appreciate it. Uh, all the way from Knoxville, Tennessee, shipping it out to Portland, Oregon. Appreciate it a lot. That's how you know you got iron. <laughs> and well done. Well done. Now, now, now the pressure's on. If anybody sees me in person, I got to have some really, really pressed shirt. And I'll just, I'll just say, you, I got to have like a little tag but done by David, by David. <laughs> I'm trying to give you a whole persona that you can rock and you can later. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. So there's a branding, brand, <laughs> the branding podcast too. I appreciate it. Um, so, so for me, so for me, so let, let, I'll just share a little bit kind of how I entered the DEI space. And then, you know, David has his journey. And then we can talk, David, about how, where and how we connected through this process, right? Just through our experiences in the, in the conservation space. Mm -hmm. So I entered doing diversity, equity, inclusion work in a roundabout way. I, I, it was in the late 90s. I got my degree in... Um, my master's degree in environmental policy and biology, so it was a joint degree to focus on conservation biology and connecting endangered species uh, protection at the policy level, supporting that while having a strong grounding in the science. So for me, my first job out of grad school was working for a national wildlife conservation group. So exactly what I wanted to do, doing biodiversity planning, all that. But, but then within the first week, I realized and I was told I was the only person of color on the whole national staff working at the program staff, which was kind of took me back a little bit like, sure, wow, good. But please, you know, I'm just trying to fit in right now. You don't have to point that out. So I wasn't really I felt marginalized. I think that, you know, that's where the there was I'm sure there was good intent. They thought it was great, but the impact didn't land on me very well. So that was kind of my first experience kind of understanding the lack of racial diversity within the conservation and environmental movements more broadly and what I was stepping into. So I would go to meetings and I would be in spaces where I just felt like I was in this culture that was just like 30 years in the past. There's like three decades old. And it just, that's how I would say kind of how thick, how just how much that the whiteness of the culture and I'm not just talking about the white people. I'm talking about the culture itself, how how it felt. And back then, I was a I was a D, I call myself a DEI baby. Back then, I didn't know how to put the words in the mouth. I didn't I didn't know how to talk about what was going on with me, but I could certainly feel it, and that I was feeling marginalized. I was I was feeling isolated, and didn't really know what to do, but knew that something needed to happen. And as I connected to randomly, like the one or two other people of color in these conferences and workshops I'd go to, we would talk mm -hmm. about how our, the, the, the isolating experiences we'd have, but we'd gravitate to each other organically and just connect and have conversations. Mm -hmm. So th that was my entry point to just a, under, trying to understand why is this happening? Why is there such a lack of diversity? And um, one thing led to another and then pulled me more into the space, the DEI space started a, two things, the Environmental Professionals of Color Network in the middle 2000s, as well as the Center for Diversity in the Environment. 
because um, I just having conversations with both people of color and white allies around how they're having challenges around bringing and talking about diversity. Back then, we really only used, this is how old this, how long I've been doing this work is we just talked about the work as calling it diversity. Equity wasn't even a word that was commonly talked about. And so it's, it's beautiful to see how the evolution has happened within the environmental movement and where we are today. So that's kind of me. So, so for me, it kind of happenstance entered into the DEI space. I didn't choose to do it. It wasn't a thing that I wanted to do in grad school, but found that, hey, if we're going to uh, truly and effectively protect our planet, we have to get this DEI thing right. So that's kind of where, where I'm at. And I'll talk about how and when David and I connected, but I'll, I'll, I'll pass it on over to you, David. You passed the, the mic to the brat, you know, I passed it back. I don't know if y'all remember Functify like that, but... <laughs> so, but did yeah. that mean that you pass it back to me? You better, you better not try that. Did I pass it back? You better not even try it. Like, <laughs> if you ever want to get anything pressed again, you will cease and des- <laughs> you'll cease and desist immediately. No, I'm, I'm grateful for the question. And, uh, you know, I think I'm going to approach it a little differently, which is I always wonder who do things belong to? And I'm really trying to fight against this in, this kind of, like, inheritance of the idea that like the environmental movement belongs to anybody except for humanity right that certain people do it and certain people don't do it right if you look across this world and you look at who the environmentalists are it's everybody who's connected to this earth is all of us who does this belong to who is this for this for it's for all of us and so we have to recognize that we have to recognize the faulty wiring the, the programming, the programming that doesn't work and that doesn't serve us. And so when I hear that, that's, it makes me think like, I didn't know that there was such a thing as an environmental movement until I was almost 30 years old. I was the first one in my family to do all the things. We were just first generation getting through, trying to figure it out and trying to stay it. And really just like the goal was to not be seen, to not participate because that's what, that's what was safe, you know? And for me, it's been an incredibly long walk to get to a place where like, I'm trying to help build movements to get people to activate and to care and to step up because we must. But I'm so grateful to learn, to have learned that there was a conservation movement. When you like, when did I get into it? Like, I've been in this from the jump. Um, I just didn't even know it was a thing. My very first memories are like being in South Florida and like just being like seeing turtles and being mesmerized and catching snakes and like, and feeling that deep, deep connection to the earth. Like it doesn't belong, right? It doesn't belong to anybody, right? And it's not to be, it's not for conservation community to like help us reconnect to. It's for us to remember about ourselves and who we are, it, right? It is who we are. And so I just want to, I just want to say that, like, I just want to say that out loud so people will remember, like, this isn't something, right? Like somebody doesn't own a plug. And then if you're a really good person or you work really hard, then you get, you're allowed to plug in. Like this comes from you. This is, that is your inheritance. So I just want to say that. And I, I'll also say that, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate. Like I'm, you know, I get to work at the executive level of a conservation organization. I'm the vice president for NPCA and I oversee our field operations for the entire country. And I started as a, in the lowest position in my organization you could have. And I've had every single position in between. Mm-hmm. So now I get to work on policy at a national level. I get to work on, you know, I've got, I've had the experience of creating national parks. I've had to create the opportunity to create national monuments to 
right, to work with tribal nations, to protect places that are sacred to them, to, right, working right now with a person I love, Alan Spears, on, you know, we're working to try to designate the Emmettville National Monument, like getting to do that work. So just wanted to say that, Cello, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bounce pass it back over to you, man. <laughs> bounce pass. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, so, so let me connect the dots now, Thomas, like where, where David and I met and just dive in, David, anytime you want to. Um, so we think, I think it was 08. So these are kind of the stories that, that, that where we come from and that we were bringing with us when we entered a space in West Virginia for this 2008 Together Green Toyota Audubon Fellowship, right? And we were the first class. There was 40 fellows, and the approach was they wanted to have a really racially diverse fellowship class. They realized, though, like, oh, well, we can't do that tapping from our own staff because we're mainly white. So they brought in, it was uh, folks from the Audubon uh, network who worked in the Audubon network, as well as folks outside of the network. And what, what I think it was about half and half, I think it was about 20 people of color and 20 white people. So one of the, one of the first icebreakers get to know each other. I don't even know what the question was, but this is, I see, I see this cat, David, coming at me from across the room. Like, why is this guy, why, why are you going so far across the room, man? You got people around you. You could just talk to them. So he comes across this room and he says, hey, what's up, man? My name is David Lamfram. I'm, I'm half Jamaican, half Israeli. And then that just what started our friendship. I didn't realize this because that was very straightforward and not so funny. But <laughs> even though you're funny looking, dude, so it's, you know, it's making sure. So that's kind of, and that started. Do you want to add anything, David, before we start talking about our, our friendship? Yeah, don't let me catch you in the streets after talking that, talking that mess. <laughs> You're not going to bounce past You're going to be selfish. You're going to keep the ball. You're not going to bounce past it to me anymore. No, I mean, it was an incredible, Marcelo was an incredible experience. And I had never been a part of anything like that. Like, I, you know, I like just being in a, a space where people were intentionally and they were like investing in me and my well-being, giving me leadership training and introducing me to the idea of things like of DEI. So like in that space, that's where I really started to understand that not only was there an environmental movement, but also there was a there was a DEI movement that was that was brewing, and that there were just a lot of people of color who were really trying to figure out how to bring like their voice and power forward, and also that there was an opportunity for us to be more honest about what, re, what reality is. With mm -hmm. right with, with and I had had the experience of always having to basically choose the person I was going to be strategically within a space in order to be accepted in that space. And it's a skill set you develop, especially if you grow up in rough in rough places. Like you don't talk how you talk at home when you go for a job interview because people have ideas about who does what. And so to be in a space where where folks were fighting for identity within the environmental movement, and that we were going to have a real conversation about people and about how we could work together as people and with people to protect the world. If T Pain was here, he would describe it as being sprung. I was sprung. You know, listening to how you all are explaining this, you know, it, it, uh, it's, it's making me think about, you know, like when people ask you a question, what is diversity? And uh, it's a question that I get asked a lot, but it's one that I ask a lot of people, but in particular, the people that I'm brought in to do this work with. And what I find fascinating is it's not until you actually meet people who have the lived experience. So like the way that you said that 
oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't get into it. It's always been there. You know, it's like, you know, when you're, when you have the background that you two have in the field, and I guess I should say really the three or four of us, but, you know, I definitely should say the three of us because I would say the same thing. You know, I didn't get into diversity. I was working it out the whole time because now that I'm in this environment, right, <clears throat> I know how to code switch. I know how to speak. Uh, matter of fact, usually in everywhere I work, I outwork everybody. You know, I know how to, I, I know what everyone else is doing while they think they know what I'm doing. And then I'm always ready to respond, no matter what happens. And I'm like, man, where did that get that skill at? Oh, it's called the hood. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's called not growing up with, you know, I'm going to acknowledge some privilege, but not a lot of it. So you had to learn other people. It wasn't important for you to be understood. It was important that you understood. The reason why I'm saying that is because I, it makes more sense to me why, uh, like, certain in, individuals struggle when it comes to diversity. Well, you're talking about yeah. that, like we're talking about the hyper vigilance. And so when you talk like we, we had a conversation earlier about appropriation. Right. Yeah. And so some people see the stuff that we have and they're like, well, they want to pick and choose. They're like, I want to have that skill set, but I don't want to have to have gone through the what you had to go through to get that thing. Yeah. Right. So yes. the reason I have hyper vigilance, the reason I always know what everybody's doing around me all the time mm -hmm. is because I had to for my own well-being. Mm -hmm. Right. I am programmed to know at all times what everybody's thinking, how everybody's feeling, what their face is doing, right? Like people don't even understand how I'm in this room, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Like yep. I have, I got everything locked down, everything, yeah. right? It's yes. mapped. And, and I like that's how you said that. Yeah, right? I got everything locked down. Yeah. But, but like, what did that come, right? And, and people, like, they like that. They, like, they think I'm, now they're like, they think I'm quick or clever, and maybe that's true. But mm -hmm. what it costs is a lot. Yeah. Like, like the reason I can, I'm on point all the time, like that's an emotional state that I need to be on to be okay, to make sure that I'm in front of and controlling and taking care of myself and my family and can, right? Yep. It's not just a, it's not just a thing of joy, it's a thing of struggle. I just wanna connect the dots too, of because yeah. uh, that like for me, what I'm interpreting as, as a group of, of men of color in the room, that's the, the whiteness of the culture that we live in. It's white dominant culture, it's white supremacy culture, it's whatever that culture is, where it's asking, because I'm the same, and, and I, I ask myself, but I don't have the same background experiences as you two. It's it's unique and different. And I had to learn how to shift, shape shift, code switch, whatever you want to talk about in different rooms. I went to a predominantly white high school. And now that I think about my background, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was a big cesspool for, for learning for me to be able to, to shift. And I became like, there, I, I look back and I'm like, what? I was like class president? How did I become class president um, in, a, in a place that wasn't fully accepting me of who I was, but accepting some parts of me? So it's what I wanna name is this whiteness of the culture that centers whiteness, where then us as people of color, we have to shift and change to alter us so we, can be accepted so we can survive and or thrive in the spaces of, of those white spaces. And then I feel like then when I'm with people of color, when I'm with David, when I'm kicking it with both of you, especially like before the meeting, I could revert back to who I am. I could get back to my true self and who I am and, and who I can be and let my hair down, be a little bit inappropriate, not inappropriate for us, but it could be inappropriate for, if it gets out, right? And, and I also want to connect that, that importance of for those of us who are oftentimes and, and, and want to go there as people of color, always being around whiteness and white culture, the necessary, or at least for me, what's necessary for me to survive and thrive is, ha is to have 
friendships like with David and like with Thomas, where it's not just a professional relationship to me, right? Sure, there's professional aspects, but it's like what I find when I'm with both of you is that I could be me and I could commiserate. I don't have to explain myself. I could go straight to that place of pain, whining. Sometimes it comes out in humor, in that levity, but that's, it's a very cathartic levity for me. It, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's joyful for me to be there, especially when, when David and I started, gosh, when COVID time started, I, just scheduling meetings every other week because it's just like we needed it. We needed to have that connection, that ongoing connection through all the stuff that has been happening over the past couple of years. Wow. Well, see, with all of the engagement that you all had, I mean, you've, you know, you've made it mental, emotional, cultural, uh, physical, historical, social, you know, all of these other, so many aspects, right? It's like it's become a movement as, you know, two men of color, include me in this, because it's a question I want to ask you, you know, when being in movement, I come from a family that was uh, busy in the civil rights movement, like heavily in it. And, you know, I'm also a pastor. It it gets me sometimes when I see current pastors talk about the racism in church and Christianity, like it just happened in 2022. And I'm like, "Um, I'm sorry, King was talking about that way back then. You know, he was talking about people not standing with them then. The question I want to ask you two brothers, men and leaders in particular is, what does it mean for people in the movement to have your back? Thomas, firstly, thank you for the question. You know, as you were laying it out, I was just, when I was thinking about friendship, I was thinking about this this differential where like how I started and where I came from. What friendship even means is, is a different thing. It means I'll ride, I'll ride for you. I'll ride with you. It's not asking all those questions. It's all right. We will. Like, if it is, it is all right. It's like a, it's a feeling that moves directly into action. And it's hard to even describe exactly what it is, but it's, it's something that's incredibly powerful. And like, I come from a place of that level of loyalty and friendship. When I say I'm your friend, you don't have to ask me twice. It's confusing when, especially like in like professional settings, because like people are kind of like your friend, but like really like they just like, can you help me do some shit? Or I want to do this thing or like, this is my plan. Can you do, help me check off some boxes on my plan? Like, oh, I didn't even realize that was a whole thing that was happening. Like, cause I was in a, I was in a place that was really about survival for that's where, that's where I was formed. And so my ideas around this are really different, but in this, in, in the movement, like what does it mean to have each other's back? For me, that means a bunch of things. Firstly, it means that like a, a recognition, right? A fundamental recognition that for all people, this is hard and we're different. In other words, and I don't, and I don't own the truth, right? Mm. So you're going to come to me and tell me what's going on on your street and I'm going to have your back with it. I'm a, sometimes I'm going to listen. Sometimes I'm going to check you. If you're being a fool, I'm going to check you, right? And, and, like, and tell you in an honest way with love, like, hey, that's absolutely crazy. And don't you ever do that and don't talk to anybody else about that. <laughs> if that's what it needs to be, if that is what, and it may, mm-hmm. it may not, it may need to be that, may not need to be that. Mm-hmm. But also it'll be that, that I, I will provide a reliable space where people can bring what, whatever's happening, right? And we can, and we can hold it and we can look at it together and we can work on it. And also the stuff that I know that they care about and that they need, I'm going to go out and help them find it. And that's my responsibility as their, as their friend and as their partner. So that's what I'm thinking about. Like, and I'm thinking about like, then what do you build out of that? The shared experience and the shared joy and the community, all those have resiliency. They withstand high winds. 
those withstand, they withstand pressure, right? Because they were built together with people. It's not just values. Values are important and the intellectual side of it is important, but all of these things have to be feel truth. Who will really be there for you when you really need them, right? Who will be there for you when it's not politically expedient? Who will be there, you know, who will be there for you when times are hard or you made a mistake, right? That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Myself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what does it mean for people to have my back or have other people's back in the movement? Um, mm -hmm. You know, one thing I think about, especially I think about my, my relationship with David, and I know this is probably a little more of an advanced, what this looks like in a more of an advanced stage, is I feel like there's this unsaid understanding. I don't have to say, I don't have to ask for David to do something for me, or I don't. I could just share what's necessary, first of all, is to be in relationship, to have a trusting relationship, a relationship that where there's love. And what I mean by love in this aspect is really truly seeing each other's humanity of who we are, how we tick, and knowing each other to the to the point of knowing the uniquenesses of each of our true selves and where we come from and, and what makes us tick. Um, so I feel there's this part that there's this proactive like one way to have someone else's back is proactively supporting the other person to survive and thrive, whatever that looks like. Hey, if you're having a painful moment, you're just trying to get through the day or the week, I got your back. What do you need? David and I have some um, some other friends that we have that, that are part of our crew. We know that this is how we show up for them and we know that's how they show up for us too. And then, the, and then there's the, uh, the, the, the thriving side where it's, you know, hey, I have this moment in my career or something's happening. Um, I'm nervous about it. Or I don't even have to say that. David will read into it. Like, hey, you, in, in know when to speak into, remind me who I am, remind me of, of what I bring to this world and who I am and how I show up and speaks into that identity for me and reminds me who I am. Because we know through these tough times, these challenging times, especially the last couple of years, uh, for people of color, for Blacks, for Asians, especially, we need to be reminded because the things we're facing personally on a day-to-day -day basis, what we're seeing and hearing the stories in the news, the violence, it could easily put push us and kick us off kilter. So that's, for me, that's why it's integral to have, be in community, having support for others and each other. And in, in coming back to what you're saying, Thomas, having that that's what it means like for me to have each other's back. Mm, okay. Thomas, but, let me let me ask you something, Thomas, if it's okay. Sure. Okay. I was wondering, I think about this a lot, but what do you think it means for those for those of us, and I'll admit I'm the first person to admit to it. What do you think it means for us who have to hold so many identities strategically? What do you think that does to a person? What do you think that does to a person's soul to have to like, right? Because when I, I always think about like a lot of people have identities where, okay, I'm just going to show up. This is my reality. This is everything. And for people of color, because of the nature of the world and because of the desire for us primarily to show up in ways where we can serve mm -hmm. white dominance, mm -hmm. we have to then show up in very specific ways. Do you think that there's like psychic and or soul effects to having to split yourself up into all these pieces? Oh, yeah. In some ways, there's pros and cons to it. Uh, for me, at times, the cons are easier to, to talk about. I think it's when you have to show up in a certain kind of environment, right? You know, because if it was an affirming environment, right, you would, 
explore those identities or those pieces of yourself with joy and fun. You know, you'd be, I mean, you know, you're going to judge everything, but the, the question is, how do you judge it? You know, so, so now I'm judging it through a lens of abundance. Like, oh, wow, I, that, that, that's a part of me. I like to do that. Okay. And you're learning it in an environment with other people who are also connecting to those parts of themselves too. You may just all do it differently, you know? But I, but I feel like the way you just asked that question to me, David, was the way that I feel like I learned a lot of it, which was in environments where I was not supported. You know, it's like I had to learn to adapt. So you can even tell how my voice is changing, you know, and, and my eyes look differently now because your energy is different. Your head is on a swivel. The first environment, my heart is wide open. You know, my heart, my eyes, my ears, my nose, everything appropriately. The second one, nothing's open. My heart is completely protected. Only people who have that skill set know when they're in the room with someone like me and goes, oh, no, he's not in the room with a bunch of friends. Everyone's his guest at the moment, though. That's one of the things it does to you. It, it makes you calculate. And that's why I say to people, in particular, two people of color, I'm like, we are smarter than most people because we have to be. One, one, we have to be. But two, this way it's a pro-con. Okay, this way it starts to slip over to the pro, but it's like it's still a little con in it, you know, because... I think when you accept that reality, that's the con part. The pro is you do what your ancestors have done because there's nothing new under the sun. You know, slavery has been in every civilization. Pain and oppression has been with every society. So there's always been a group of people who have had to rise above. They've, and they've just like uh, Paulo Freire would say, the oppressed teach, the oppressed teach the oppressor. There's always been the sages who always rise, whether it's religious or social. So then that's when it becomes a pro because what ends up happening is those people who accept it, but then who read it, as I, Eric Erickson would say, or Beverly Daniel Tatum, redefine it for yourself as you internalize it, you change what it means, you know, and then you start to use it. Or you can say as a weapon, but, you know, let's use positive language, right? You start to use it, you know, as a, as a way of calling people in, welcoming people in. In some ways, because you, you can see their awareness gaps. You can see it. Like, yeah, you don't know because you haven't had to. You know, you don't know because you haven't had to struggle in this way. So I think that until people have that opportunity, though, to breathe and process it, it's more the first, it's more the second energy first. And I'm just saying that because working the way that I work now, I feel more the first. I feel more open now, but it's because I don't feel like my back's against the wall. Incompetence and arrogance is in my face at the same time when I want my intelligence to smash it. Mm -hmm. That's how it felt a lot when I was working. I'm just being honest, but that's how it felt. You know, when you see arrogance and arrogance, ignorance, and the competence all on the, well, it's the same thing. When you see them on the same level, it's like, what the hell? What? But when you see awareness that sees the arrogance and goes, I'm trying to do something about it. Can I get some help? That changes it. It's like, oh, you want help? To me, that goes back to the first one. Okay, you're being open, I'm being open. So that's my long-winded answer, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so. That's, I, I'm so happy I asked that just because, like, it's grateful to hear you speak on that mm -hmm. and lay it out. And like, you, in the same way that game recognizes game, so too does humanity, mm -hmm. so too does kindness, so too does compassion, right? And like, right. and the, the reality, one of the things about having your head on the swivel is, you're, while you do that, you're simultaneously desperate to relax, desperate to be accepted, des de desperate to be seen and cared for, right? Because all the energy creates the need for the opposite, right? Because you're whole, right? Because you're tensing that muscle, right? In, in order to exist. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting. Like I like I like to talk to folks about like let's envision a scenario where we can create a culture where when we walk into this room, it feels like we just took off our boots after a long day of walking. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like what that mm-hmm. feels like. Like, can we have that? Can we have it where like you know you can just be here and you don't right? But and and then the recognition of the fact that it is primarily not that way. The 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 blessing and privilege of that recognition is it points it points us the way forward, right? Yeah. How do yeah. we not? How do we never do this again? I got a question for you. Okay, for both of you. Sorry, it's just both of you, because you both obviously do exactly what you just said. You you make space for people. I can tell. You know, when I first met Marcelo, he did. You know, we we both clicked in the same spot, and I felt like we did it for each other. You know, but he opened the door first. You know, like, all right, cool. All right, okay, I like this. Mm-hmm. I find that I naturally do that because most times I never felt safe. The question I have for you is, why do you do it now? See, I do it. I did it because I never felt safe. So it's something that I never looked for. So I don't mind creating it for other people. Because, you know, it's just, it's kind of in that second lens I'm talking about a little bit. But I'm getting to the first lens now. My question is for you, who I think really been on the battlefield a little bit longer than me. You know, why do you do it? How, how did you get to the space where you were like, this is what I need to do? I need to create that. We need to create this. Mm. CeeLo, I, I went last. I went first last time. You want to roll mm. it? Yeah, man. Yeah, I love the question. So, so it's it's why do I, why do I create the space? Why do I create the space where we can be us, where people of color can be us? Um, is that kind of is that where you're going with Thomas? That's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, not just people of color. You, because you welcome okay. people. Period. Yeah, I've seen you yeah. do it. So that's yeah. really what I'm, and, but if you want to yeah. do people of color and people, that's really what I'm asking. Yeah. Why do you, because you do it for everybody. Yeah. Thanks, man. And thanks for recognizing. That's what I'm talking about, having each other's back. You speak into, you see things and you speak truth into other people and remind them who they are. I appreciate that, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, on one hand, I don't think there's any other way of being. I don't think there's any way, other way of doing, especially if it's the work that I'm doing around justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, that's essential to do the work. Cause it, cause it, oftentimes that space in, in the white dominant culture we live in is th- that values individualism, it values efficiency, it values speak uh, succinctly and to the point. Um, we don't often get opportunities to do that. And that's what's so refreshing with the groups that I work with is I give them a green light and I explain why it's important to have these spaces. Um, I had a group that I was working with recently who there were some things breaking down relationally, mm-hmm. and this is common, um, breaking down relationally. And then I'm like, hey, do we want to bring that into the next time we meet as, as in our next meeting? And one of the thought reactions was, um, no, we don't have time for it. I'm like, well, we can always make time for something like this because this is the integral part of, first of all, of the work that you're signing up, you're asking me to support you in around justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. And to be honest with you, I feel like this is life. This is how we need to live life. This is how we see each other's humanity, support each other and reconnect because something happened. They're, they're, they're connected, uh, but something happened a moment and this happens, this happens, right? There's conflict happens, something, something in a moment happens where we don't see eye to eye. And right, it feels right. like the, the harmony of a group kind of gets, gets, there's a tear that goes through it. Right. Yeah. And that happens though. 
So it's for me, what I do and what I work with groups and what I'm committed to, no matter what situation is, is those are the moments where we lean in. Those are the moments where we could really grow both individually and collectively. And those are the moments where we can really love each other by seeing each other's humanity mm-hmm. and, and forgiving each other. Um, I see these groups, they, they forget without even just saying, I forgive you, but they, they, they forgive by, you can forgive by your stance and how you're processing things and how you're leaning in in support of each other. Um, so I, you know, so it's just become, I've, I've found it over the years in how it's really also pushed against white dominant culture that um, it's essential um, and I think if, if both in the space, consulting space, and the space of trying to advance justice, equity, diversity, inclusion in our organizations is essential. And I think as you think about all the challenges and the politics, the social setting in the, in the United States and the mm-hmm. world, it's what's needed. Can we create space where we could actually just see each other and talk to each other and be okay if we're not, we can have different opinions because that's what diversity is. People have different opinions. Even David and I have different opinions, right? But we're still, we're still, we're still Pete. We're, we're crew, man. We're, we're got each other's back. I know. I was um, like, I'm done. I'm done hiring. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and you say, fine. <laughs> they got to make you look good. Even though we're on a podcast and we're talking, I still need to help you look good. Um, no one can see you. But thanks for describing the visual and reminding David kind of what went into the preparation for this podcast. Appreciate it. <laughs> I love the question so much and, and uh, what an amazing, um, what an amazing reflection on privilege. Imagine like, and for people to remember that we live in a world where people really believe that they don't need each other and how impossible that actually is, right? Like it's impossible. And, and so if you, you know, the reason I, the reason I feel that way is, okay, if you were, one of the ways that this is described is I and I, right? Like I and I is like the and or if in where I grew up in Lauderhill, they they would say I see the God in you, and every everyone would see the God in each other, right? And we would right. see right and and so while we're out here doing all struggling and trying to make it work in this world, we also know that we're all here for a reason and we're all a part of the same thing, right? And the experiences that I've had in my life have given me the emotional depth to be able to take a hit emotionally or to be able to be vulnerable or to create some space, right? So that we can figure out how to be together. Because if we can't do that, what can we do? And also the reality is, is we all have to get there. And my, I have a fundamental belief that we don't get there until we all get there. So I'm invested. I'm invested in each person getting there. And so if I have to, if I have to put a little extra into that, I'm okay with that, like, right? Because I don't get there until they do. And maybe, maybe it was, it's important, maybe an important part of why I'm here is to help them. I don't know in every, every moment that I meet a person, I don't know exactly why I was supposed to meet that person, what I was supposed to do in that moment, what my purpose was there. And I should absolutely bring my best self and my kindness and most caring self to that moment to meet that person who is God also in that moment, right? To be there for them and to understand who they are and what they need and what we can do and what we're supposed to do what, and what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to do. Oh, Rick. <laughs> I, I feel like in this, I, I, I'm looking at time, so I, I definitely want to honor that, but 
I'm so thankful for both of you being here with us today on Heartwood, you know, because, uh, and what a way to try to, to, to close out the season, you know, because you did what I think good, I would say like prophets, scholars, you know, but people that communities entrust their hearts to and their goods to when they go, yeah, okay, we can trust them, you know, because we know that they're not going to take it, but we can trust them. Why? Because they can tell us how to do it and then they show us how to do it. You know, you all have given, you know, uh, in my opinion, path or direction or structure to what it's going to look like. But then you've also given instruction on how to get there. And like I say, it goes back to the beginning, you know, how to start it. You know, when I asked, how did you get to it? You know, realizing that, oh, man, I'm here, you know, or going, I've been here the whole time. You know, it's like you're living this out, you know, and you're challenging yourself at the same time. And I just want to I, I, I just wanted to say, you know, is there any last thing, you know, uh, that, that, that you'd like for us to get? Because you all have so much to give and teach. But I know you also have so much to go and do. So <laughs> that's that you want to say to us. Solo, you got you want a last word, my friend? What, what you think then? I, I'm thinking the instruction you gave me last time we talked could be a homework for people, our listeners. And that that was if people are really interested and make sure you don't in this Jedi work, make sure you don't stop, you don't quit. And one thing you could do is watch the 15 minute video on two MC Hammers, Too Legit to Quit. It'd give you some uh real world instruction on making sure how you stick with it and don't quit because you're too legit for real we we <laughs> both went back and watched that video yo that video is like straight up it's like 18 minutes james brown has fireballs like ralph tresvent is in the thing like it's like oh yeah you know, ralph tresvent like, did it like 20 times yeah. he keeps on showing up yeah. it's like ralph i saw you the first time quit showing up let me say like not even wor parting words about parting songs relevant to this episode i would say outcasting each one teach one i'll be coming through right and then jizza mm -hmm. mm -hmm. like we were talking about basic instructions before leaving earth, before leaving earth. there you go there's the art brilliant right this is brilliant and community i want to thank you all because like i said my cello's been down i've been down with him for it's been going on now more than three years mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's been good to be able to see him pouring the other people, right, mm -hmm. as he supported me. So thank you for being here, bro, because I know that you, you know, have to run. Uh, but then it's good to meet you, David, because we can, you know, as Marcelo and I, we have a common language, you know, but you and I, I basically have one. <laughs> I mean, you know, we have a common language. And what I love is that both languages understand what they're saying because they're coming from the heart. So, you know, thank you both for, you know, for being representatives. Well, no, you're bigger than that. For being exemplars of how to do this and, uh, and for challenging yourselves while you're calling people in and helping them. And everyone listening to, to this episode, please take these jewels, gems, this knowledge from these two individuals uh, who are friends, but more importantly, they're examples. And, um, and they would, like me, they're humble. You know, so it's not about per it's not about perfection, but please, everyone, remember that why is important. That why, why, why are we doing it? We're doing it because we care. We do believe that there is a better world that we can create. So, with that, I'm signing off. I thank uh, thank David and Marcelo for being here. Thank Tebow always for you know keeping us you know for being 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 the backbone because I think when everyone willingly jumps in their roles and has multiple skills and we support each other, people can jump in and out. 
of many spaces because they're free to be it because they want to get the help or they want to help. So I thank y'all, gentlemen. Is, thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Thibault. Thank you for tuning in. And I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Rashard Easley. We never want to close out our episodes without thanking our sponsors, the Yale School of the Environment, and also Mind Heart for Diversity, LLC. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in.